0: The following message is a teaching by Dr. Jason DeRoshi, professor of Old Testament and Biblical Theology at Bethlehem College and Seminary in Minneapolis, Minnesota. You can find more information about Jason at www.jasonderoshi.com. In Hebrews chapter, four, uh, chapter 12, verse 14, it says, Strive for peace with everyone and the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. This next 20 minutes or so, my goal is to try to help us understand whether a Christian's belief that the Bible is without error requires that we have to believe that God created the whole world in 24 hour literal days and that the earth is roughly 6,000 years or less. and We want to elevate the Bible above all things, trusting that there are zero errors in it. And the question is, with that conviction, is it absolutely necessary to affirm a certain type of creationism? So, I want to maintain peace with all men, and yet, I don't want to lose sight of what the Word says and believe it wholeheartedly. And so, with a group of 30 guys in the room, it's possible that there are some different perspectives on answering that question is it necessary holding the Bible as high as we do to be a young earther? Now I frame it that way because at least in the home that I grew up in, young earth creationism was right up there next to justification by faith alone and Christ alone. And I, just wondering, did any of you grew up in that kind of a church? Or that kind of a home? I did. And... Yet Paul, in Romans 10, says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead and hold to young earth creationism, you can be saved. (laughs) Right? Not quite. And yet, we're in a context where there... this This is a big question trying to understand, as we treasure Christ and treasure His Word, what are the parts of the creationism debate that we should really elevate right up to the top? Now when I say top, I don't mean that you have to believe these in order to become a Christian. What Paul says is you've got to believe that Jesus died, that He rose, that prior to His death He He was a perfect man, and that we're not, and that we need a savior, and he's it. Amen. And we trust that by faith alone. Nothing that we do, nothing that we bring to the table can get us saved. In fact, it's only that recognition that allows us to be saved. That we can't bring anything to the table, that we need Jesus. So when I talk about a what are the, the top issues, I'm I'm talking about those things that if you're Trusting in God and saying that you believe His Word, what what are these things in the creation debate that that we can't let go of? These are things we can't be open-handed on, but we must hold firmly. And if you who affirm Scripture were to actually find out what the Bible teaches on something, and you denied it, then we would have to say, I I don't really know how you could be, be, be a Christian. What parts of the creation debate would fall into that category, and what parts wouldn't? What parts can godly men and women pursuing the Lord actually differ on, and it be okay? And I'm coming to you today as a pastor from Bethlehem Baptist Church as a professor of Old Testament at Bethlehem College and Seminary. And I think a lot of this is church leaders having to come together, you and your own churches, and wrestle with what are we going to prioritize and what aren't we going to prioritize. So I want to start out today by just reading where my own church has, how we've laid out our... Our own statement of faith. Now this is not the membership covenant. In fact, our membership covenant says nothing about creationism. People can become members without having to define where they fall, whether they're a young earth creationist, old earth creationist, or even an evolutionary creationist. But what I'm about to read is our elder affirmation. So we have a much higher bar for our elders than we do for our members. Our membership covenant is one page long, and it's got six bullet points. Our elder affirmation is forty-five pages long. It's twelve pages if you take out the footnotes. But that's detailed theology that all of us as elders at Bethlehem celebrate. And I just want to show you where how, how we've decided to frame this issue and identify what we're saying is essential for being a leader at our church, and what isn't. And and my hope is not to say, you need to do it like us. But to try to assess, um, just to give you an example of how dialogue might go on on your leadership teams. And how I'm processing through these matters, and how I'm joyfully accepting where our own church has come down. So here is our elder affirmation... Well, before we start here, let, let me just pray. Father, for whatever reason, this particular topic can make blood pressure rise. And, and I, I would just ask that you would help there be a sweet peace and unity among the brothers here. All of us are people who want to be submitted to your book, and I'm wanting to simply help these brothers lead wisely. I pray you'd give them discernment. I pray that there wouldn't be an edge among any of us. That your truth would be held very high. And yet, that we would also recognize that while everything in the Bible is important, not everything is of first importance. The gospel is of first importance. So help us understand how to weigh out truth Recognizing that in this room we all differ, and that's been okay on a number of matters. So give us clarity as to where this creationism stuff should fall. Thank you that you are faithful and that you're the one who preserves your people. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, here's what we say We believe, this is uh, Bethlehem's Elder Affirmation 4.1. We believe that God created the universe and everything in it out of nothing by the word of His power, having no deficiency in Himself nor moved by any incompleteness in His joyful self-sufficiency, God was pleased in creation to display His glory for the everlasting joy of the redeemed from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. So right off the bat, we say, God created the universe. There is God, and then there's everything else. And He's the supreme actor. There was nothing besides Him, and then all of a sudden, a moment came where creation happens, and it didn't grow out of need. He didn't create out of a need for fellowship. He was absolutely delighting in His eternal trinity, and yet His overflow of joy in Himself leads to the creation of the world. His eternal love within Himself overflows in in a natural, positive expression of love. I can love others too. In comes the world. What we're affirming here is is first step, God created. Now consider trying to be a Christian without a view that God created. You you could become a Christian, but if you if you learn Jesus is God, Jesus was at the beginning, through him all things were made, you're gonna have, it's gonna be impossible for you to, to try to maintain, declare, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus, and deny that God created everything just in the way that the Bible affirms things. This seems absolutely essential to a very biblical understanding of the Bible, our conviction that God created, that that creation is not an accident. Second implication, He created out of nothing, we say. And the reason we put that there is to identify that there was a time where there was nothing other than God. That God is not Himself created, that He is the one who creates. That He was the only pre-existent reality before the universe. He created out of nothing. And we feel compelled to say that in order to identify the foundation of biblical truth. That there is only one God. What this means is that Satan was not eternal. There is only one God who created everything and when He did it, He didn't start with anything. It was just Himself, and then all of a sudden, creation came forth. Number three, we say, having no deficiency in Himself, God was pleased to create. God created the universe not out of need, but out of pleasure. And we, we put that in there because we have a God who delights in His creation. And that's that's a central part of all of biblical teaching. That we have a God who's not distant, who's not disheartened, but who actually is passionate about His world and about the people that He put in His world. He created not out of need. That's how Paul talks in Acts 17. We have a God who has no need. We give to Him nothing. But He gives to us everything and He does it because it pleases Him. Here's 4.2 We believe that God directly created Adam from the dust of the ground and Eve from His side. We believe that Adam and Eve were the historical parents of the entire human race. That they were created male and female equally in the image of God without sin. That they were created to glorify their maker, ruler, provider, and friend by trusting His all-sufficient goodness, admiring His infinite beauty, enjoying His personal fellowship, and obeying His all-wise counsel. And that in God's love and wisdom, they were appointed differing and complementary roles in marriage as a type of Christ and the church. So that's our 4.2. What are we saying here? Number one, we're saying that humans were not the result of an evolutionary process, but a distinct special creation. We've chosen as as an elder team to say, we think that's what the Bible teaches, Now I'll just say right off the bat that Brother Greg's in the evangelical free church and they have chosen as a denomination to declare a certain type of millennial view. At least that's where it was. Is it still that way? uh, We just got a uh, proposed change to that. A proposed change. But but to be, be an EV free pastor required that you hold a certain type of millennial view. But there was no church leaders in the evangelical free church that were saying, if you happen to be a non-premillennialist, you're not a Christian. So churches can affirm certain things. We're choosing as a fellowship to affirm certain things and yet we're not declaring everyone else a heretic. That H word is a a, a word we need to be very careful of. And yet there are certain times it has to be declared. And what we're saying here is God directly created Adam and Eve from the dust of the ground and Eve from His side. The question at hand is, well, where do we put that on the various levels of doctrine? We're saying... Leaders at our church cannot affirm that Adam and Eve were created by an evolutionary process, but that there was a special creation. Number two, we're also saying that, in saying we believe that Adam and Eve were the historical parents of the entire human race, we're saying that all humans everywhere from all time derive from only two individuals, because we believe the Bible teaches that. Many in this world are saying that's not the case. We're saying, in our leadership affirmation, we're saying, this is important. We need to have a unity on this issue. Consider why that would be important. Now, there's the frame. That's that's as much as we say about creationism in our elder affirmation. God created. Adam and Eve were the first parents. Through them, all sin came into the world. And... I feel very comfortable with that as a church leader. You as church leaders are going to have to assess where are we going to put our, our definitional uh, boundaries down. Now, among the evangelical world that I'm a part of, there are three different camps for creationism. There is young earth creationism, old earth creationism, and It's been often called theistic evolution. God's in there. We could call it evolutionary creationism. Now, what I want to identify here is that all of these views can fit within professing Christianity. Hear how I said that. Those that profess to be Christians who are supernaturalists, not naturalists, can claim to be All three of those possibilities. I'm a young earther, I'm an old earther, or I'm an evolutionary creationist. At our church we've said that you can't be a leader and be an evolutionary creationist. You need to consider whether at your church are you going to limit it to two possibilities or only one? Which one? The elder affirmation specifically says we will not have leaders that affirm the evolutionary evolution of humans. And yet, our church does interact with many people. And I, I intended to, to confirm this. Um, but, well, many of you have been coming here for a while. That means you've been influenced by a young earth creationist namely me. How many of you have heard of the name Wayne Grudem? How many of you have been influenced by Wayne Grudem's, like his big systematic theology? It's a standard among conservative Christians. He happens to be an old earth creationist. And then, and here's what I still need to confirm, um, I've heard that Tim Keller... How many know of that name? Tim Keller. He's at least written on a major evolutionary creationist website called Biologos. That doesn't necessarily mean he's an evolutionary creationist, but people have talked about him as one. And yet, it's very hard to find anyone among evangelical Christianity today who is, who is writing so forthrightly about the gospel? Indeed, he's the co president of the Gospel Coalition. And it is a beautiful organization that cherishes so much. I mean, it, it, I just affirm their entire statement of faith. It's just beautiful and it keeps Jesus absolutely central. And it also affirms that God created all things and that Adam and Eve were the first parents and that they sinned. Now, at least at my church, there's never been any context wherein evolutionary creationists have been declared heretical. As I look back on my own life, it's funny how you know, past friends from 20 years ago become different things. My best friend in seminary is now the director of the Biologos organization. And Biologus is the leading evangelical evolutionary creationist organization in the United States. He's the director of it, and we differ on a lot of things. And he uses Old Testament professors as his foundational he's a philosopher, not a um, trained in philosophy, not in Bible, but he goes to Old Testament professors that I completely disagree with in order to justify his reading of the biblical text. He could not be an elder at my church. But I do think he's a brother. Because I truly believe that he's confessed with his mouth that Jesus is Lord and it wasn't just words, but that he is truly pursuing the Lord God with his life. That he's surrendered to the Lord and there's so many evidence of the fruits of the Spirit in his life. And that reality has forced me to, 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 to wrestle with what am I going to say has to be kept and I cannot uh, hold it open-handedly. Now, any of you work at the hospital as in a, in a medical role? I recently, my wife recently had to take my son, Ezra, who's nine, to the ER. And um, positively, we never got through the desk to pay the bill. But we did get into the ER, and he had a cut on his leg. And my son is from Africa. He's from Ethiopia. Um, As soon as you wipe off the black skin, there's white flesh under there and it's often hard to tell whether the white flesh is flesh or bone. And he slipped off of the swing set and uh, just ripped open his leg. And he was on the ground and he could barely walk and he's limping and my wife thought he had broken his leg so off to the ER they went. And by the time we drove the two miles to the emergency room, um, he hopped out of the back of the car and ran to the front door of the ER. And my wife, in that process, recognized, I I don't think this is as bad as I thought, and it's probably not the bone that we're looking at. Um, But we get in, and and we're met by a nurse. She's called a triage nurse. A triage nurse is there to assess different levels of pain. So, my son is standing there with a cut-open leg, and in walks somebody holding their head in their hand. Not really. Um, but, but if that were to happen in the, in the emergency room, the nurse would, would be weighing out issues. Sure, they're all important. She's not going to deny my son's pain. But the person holding their head would probably get priority. They should get priority. Because it's a little more dramatic, a little more uh, life-threatening. There's a lot more at stake. And, and I want to propose that we as church leaders... Um, Think about a triangle that has three parts. And I find it very helpful for us in in assessing um, doctrine, recognizing that all the teachings of the Bible are important, but not all are of first importance. And wrestling as leaders and helping our people wrestle with what would we put in a top-tier category that we might call essential to Christianity. And I want to propose that, and by essential to Christianity, again, I mean, I don't, you, have, you don't have to have all this down in your mind in order to become a Christian, but that Christianity by its nature rises or falls on whether you hold to these, these issues. And if you were to know they are true and you deny them, you, you couldn't be a Christian. And I would put that God was creator up in that category. I would put that Adam and Eve were actual people, that they were historical figures. I would put that up in that category. Why? Because if you don't have a first Adam, you can't have a last Adam. If you don't have the problem that was brought about by the first parents, you can't have an answer that's brought about by Jesus. His, and a complete understanding of who Jesus is depends on the historicity of actual parents who sinned and rebelled on God and were cast out, creating all of us, make, making all of us be born into a world where sin infects and affects every part of us. I count that as a, as a top-level issue. That Jesus is indeed God. That He He died on the cross for our sins. That He alone is the Savior. But I wouldn't put my conviction in believer baptism in the top tier. Because I have many brothers and sisters who, for example, are Presbyterians. And they baptize babies. Not because they don't love Jesus, but because they're reading the Bible in a different way and they've, they've come to a different conclusion about what baptism actually is. So this I would move down into a second tier issue which I call reasonable boundaries. Top tier, essential to Christianity. Second tier, reasonable boundaries. And these are the, the types of issues that Christians normally wrestle with, go head to head on, and they create tensions in church leaderships and sometimes church splits. They also create different denominations. And we've probably got five to ten different denominations, even representative represented in this room. I would put in this second tier issues like, think, think about if, if I had a pastor who held a different view on this topic, how easily would it be for us to preach together, minister together? If you're at a church that holds to, you can only baptize those who have professed faith in Jesus... And there's another pastor that says you can baptize even children because personal faith is not necessary to enjoy baptism. Some denominations have tried to make that work, but most denominations have said that's that's a line divider. It's not an issue of whether you're a Christian or not, but, but we're going to be in different camps there. Their understanding of the role of men and women in leadership if you have one pastor who says women can be elders and another pastor who's saying, I don't think that that's biblical, it's going to be hard to maintain order in your leadership, uh, leadership meetings and in front of your congregation. If you have some pastors that are Calvinist and some pastors that are Arminian, that could make it hard to have a leadership team where there's different understandings of God's relationship to evil. Those are are like second-tier issues that are reasonable within Christianity to dialogue about. And Bethlehem, my church, has said, I think we would put... Certain elements of creationism into that second tier because we've said any form of evolutionary creationism is outside of the bounds of our leadership team. Your team, your church might decide that's not, we're we're not going to make an issue on that. But notice that we have allowed, and there's pastors at my church and professors at my school that are old earth and young earth creationists. They would hold to multiple, old earth guys holding to multiple stages in creation, evidenced in the fossil record, and I seeing the fossil record as an evidence of catastrophe, a result of the flood. But believe me, we as pastors can get along in the same team. I, it's, it's not an issue in our daily pastoral ministry, and it's been helpful for us as we shepherd public school mom and dads, private school, homeschool, trying to help, help them weigh out. Okay, don't, don't raise this issue higher than you should. Maintain that God is the creator. Maintain that Adam and Eve are essential to the story. But maintain that God is working as creator to bring about a new creation. But the how... We've said this is a little bit less important, but there's certain parts of it that the reading of our scripture, when we're in Genesis 2 and it says man was created out of the dust, I don't think that we can, we've said, I don't think that we can move from the dust particle of a big bang all the way up to man and let that be faithful to our reading of the text. Whereas others feel comfortable doing that. We're saying, no, that that is nurturing a kind of reading of Scripture that we don't think is healthy for our people and we don't want leaders who are holding that view. Third-tier issues. Can Christians participate in Halloween or not? I, I wouldn't raise this up to a denominational level. This is an issue of conscience. Whether you're in what they call amillennial, meaning a realized millennium. We're living in the millennium right now, the church age. Whether you're a historic pre-mill guy, believing that the millennium is coming, Jesus will return and establish a time on earth. And that can come in different flavors, like even dispensational premillennialism that would have a, a pre-tribulation rapture. Or you're a post-millennial that thinks Jesus will come after things get better. Or you're just a pan-millennial that says it'll all pan out. (laughs) I think this is a third-level issue that leaders can get... You could have various people on the same staff and even joking back and forth, trusting all of us that God's going to work it out. And I can hold my convictions and, and believe that the church is not going to be taken out before a tribulation. And I can have a, a person in my congregation that, that really believes in, defines the rapture of the church, meaning we've got to get out of here before everything gets really bad. And I can say, you know, I don't think that's how the Bible teaches, but if uh, the rapture does come as you define it, would you mind grabbing me before we go? <laughs> And, and He's okay with that. That we can fellowship in the same body on these things. And, and all, my purpose here was to, to challenge you brothers to recognize all doctrine is important, but there's not all doctrine is of first importance. And just recognize that in the rest of your lives already... Wherever you sit as church leaders, you've already, consciously or unconsciously, made calls on where you're going to put different types of doctrines. And you as church leaders before God need to have good conscience, be as broad as you possibly can at one level, and yet united as much as you can over what you cherish most. And what you cherish most is not just top-tier level issues. But there's beauty and unity that comes around a team that affirms even second-tier issues. At our church, there's been pastors divided about divorce and remarriage. The leaders are not in agreement as to whether there's ever remarriage allowed or not. And that's actually, I don't think, a third-tier issue. I think it makes it very difficult for church leaders to have disunity on that issue. Because it brings confusion into your body. So much. But you as leaders, responsible before God, reminding yourselves always that we're just clay pots, and He makes it that way. He chooses sinners to lead churches. He chooses weak men to shame wise men in order to show that the surpassing power comes not from us, but from Him. So I just encourage you, brothers, to, to um, hold high God as creator, hold high the absolute essential nature of the historicity of Adam and Eve. Because I think the gospel rises or falls on that issue. And then rather than holding it, holding the rest of the creationism issue. Uh, like this, hold it like this, and even like this. Allowing your fellowship among believers who have called upon the name of the Lord and are saved to not bring friction where it shouldn't be. Let's pray. Dear Lord, Lord, These are such big issues, and I I don't stand here as the answer man. Your Word is our guide, and we want to be faithful. We want to be faithful. And we as leaders are weak. Our leadership teams are often weak, imperfect, uh, and yet these are Your people, and we want to honor You and shepherd well. I pray that uh, today, in the rest of this conference, and as we move out into our own ministries, that you would, you would help us have conviction where we need to have conviction. And then even amidst that conviction, weigh out the matters that are of first importance and those that are not. And give us clarity as to how to fit into those categories even to be honest with ourselves, where our own denominations, where our own churches have placed things and even be able to assess, is that reasonable? Is that right? Is that, is that best for broader church unity? So give us clarity. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I'll just add, in having a message like this, just remember I celebrate that I'm part of a church that has a 45-page doctrinal statement for the leaders. We're not pushing aside doctrine. We're we're claiming it over and over again and saying this is where we stand. And we celebrate that we're this kind of a church. And yet also recognizing we're not declaring that if you're not this kind of a church, but you are truly a church, then we celebrate you and... uh, delight in what God's doing in your midst. Thank you for listening to this message from the ministry of Dr. Jason Deroshi, Professor of Old Testament and Biblical Theology at Bethlehem College and Seminary in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Jason Deroshi. For more information on Bethlehem College and Seminary, we invite you to visit online at www.bcsmn.edu. For more information on Dr. DeRoshi, visit online at www.jasonderoshi.com. Proclaiming the kingdom and treasuring a God who reigns, saves, and satisfies through covenant for His glory in Christ.